Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I hope everyone got to uh, enjoy some uh, time off over the holidays here. Uh, 2021 is now officially over. Good riddance. I I kind of feel like um, I kind of feel like 2020 and 2021 were just like one long 24 episode series. Just yeah, non-stop. that's that's certainly a way one could put it. Um, We're yes. basically on the third. Is it the, are you saying it was? Are you saying it was the latest hate watch? <laughs> yes, mm. we hate watched 2020. Uh, now, now let's be reasonable here. There was a global pandemic, but it might not be as bad as hate watch levels. Hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> mm, mm. it's close. I watched I watched some bad shows for hate watch, so uh, I don't know, but uh. Anyway, if the you know the world may be a dumpster fire, but we did at least have some good anime. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think twenty twenty one was uh, a very strong year uh, for for anime, especially considering the circumstances in which right. uh, a lot of this anime was made. I think that it's uh, you know I, I think I'd go yeah. as far as say this is a uniquely strong year for anime. I mean, I think this top ten is going to illustrate that. You know, especially because, as we, I, I do feel like if. If the pandemic had not happened, some of these shows probably would have been in 2020. I think you're right, but, you know. Would have been spread out a little more. Uh, I think perhaps one or two of them might have had slightly smoother productions, but it's very difficult to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, as we just mentioned, uh, as, as we do at the end of every year, we do our year in review posts. You can go check those out at theglorialblog.com. And, of course, the final one we put out is our top ten anime of the year. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, yeah. uh, before we get started, let me introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I'm joined by Iroh. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. Still with us in 2022. And uh, joined by G. So, I'm just going to point out that when you say it out loud, the year is pronounced 2022. And my question is, is 2022 going to be the Final Fantasy X-2 or the Final mm. Fantasy XIII-2 of years? Oof. <laughs> I mean, um, I guess one of these is nominally mm. better than the other. Is this the year of the dress sphere? <laughs> I mean, I will defend Final Fantasy X-2. It, it is know, a uh, yeah, fun, weird <laughs> game. It ain't no 13 2, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm saying yeah, that I think, as I think, 10 I think we're better. saying uh, 10 2 is the good one, right? Yes. Or, okay, how about and this? Uh, is, this a, is, this a, is this a bravely second situation <laughs> where 2020 was bravely second, uh, the first? Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, 2021 was bravely. What was it? Like, bravely second? No, like, bravely third there's, or something? There's bravely Default. Oh, I there's don't Bravely know. Second, the sequel to Bravely Default. And oh, then there's Bravely Default yes. 2, which is an yes. all-new scenario. Thank you. I have gotten the names mixed up. So that is this, bra- the Bravely Default 2 of years. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. Um, I want to say, yeah, new year, new start. Um, so the, things will be the great, for the but top two. cannot say that. Um, yeah. Anyway. We're also joined by Zig. 
for this episode. Uh, I prefer to avoid confusion by simply referring to this year as the year of Luigi plus nine, or year nine <laughs> of the Luigi age. Has it actually been that long? Or uh... yes, All right. yes, the year of Luigi was twenty thirteen. Uh, it's, it's like so. when you, it's like when you play Jesus New Game Christ. Plus and Dark Souls. It's like New Game Plus six. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh you know. Wow. Um, or you have BAL before the age of Luigi and AAL after the age <laughs> of Luigi. Same as uh-huh. okay. yeah. Like the common era, but with Luigi. Uh-huh. Right. That makes perfect sense. Oh, God, we've been doing this a long time. This is also going to be our 10th anniversary <laughs> this year, but we'll get to that yeah. in six yeah, months. Yeah, sure is. Um, anyway, we're here today to talk about the. Uh, 10 best anime of 2021 as declared by the Glorio blog which means they uh-huh. are the correct top 10 of course of course um, well you like, know with some caveats but yes <laughs> <laughs> well um is that is that caveat mostly that we did not finish Thunderbolt Fantasy that, that that is caveat number one for sure. Uh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, before we get into the actual top ten, if uh, you know you guys have any honorable mentions you want to get out of the way um, of things that didn't make the list, um, I mean, we just I, mentioned I will say, Thunderbolt there were, there Fantasy. Were so many, yeah, there were so many so many good shows this year that like our voting process, I would say, did not allow for. Uh, I had to make some tough choices. Uh, I think we all did, really. Yeah, exactly. I I left off stuff that I. uh, Yeah, I think think everybody has like a cut from their top five that they feel bad about, but is also like, what can you do in a year this competitive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very it's very top heavy. So like, I think everybody's lists like, well, you have to put these. (laughs) So like, you know, that's. I mean, just just to clarify for people who don't know, we like everybody on the blog uh, votes for a top five shows and they're weighted according to rank you know and it's all score based and stuff yes like that. And, right you know not to get like too inside baseball but like that does mean that like yes as as hinted at it it does mean that right like our lists do tend to like take on a certain like order as a result of that right because of the inherent nature of like voting for a top five for a top 10 which means that there are some shows that you didn't make it here, not because they're bad, but because they would be many people's top six or seven, right? And, like, in past years, that wasn't an issue, because I think there are some years of the Glorio blog where some of us struggled to even put together a list of five. But in a year like this, where I think many of us could actually put together a credible, like, personal top ten list, no less a site-wide top ten list, uh... Yeah. You know, there, there ends up being some stuff that just kind of get, you know, just falls through the cracks. Yeah. Yep. So yep. we we definitely put the uh, the system to the test this year, but uh, we made it. We're here. But uh, if you guys want to shout out any other shows that didn't make the list, now's the time. So. Yeah, I mean, this is where I now make the like legitimate argument that if we had all watched it, I assure you, got I assure you, Thunderbolt Fantasy season three <laughs> would be in our top five. <laughs> like this is not. There's no, like, I'm telling you all, look at your top five list, something would go. Like, because Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 3 would take that spot. And the only reason it isn't is because most of us only started the entire (laughs) franchise this year and uh, did not catch up on Season 3 in time. But Iro and I finished it the other day, and uh, 
I don't know, Earl. You tell me. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Uh, man, I will say I, I'm a I'm a little miffed that we ca- start catching up with Wonderful Fantasy when this franchise's plot as a whole is like in the middle of the yes. middle. <clears throat> uh, when uh, when Urobuchi announced that he plans to do five seasons and I believe five films. For Thunderbolt Fantasy, we realized upon reaching the end of season three, oh crap! That means we got into this series at exactly the fifty percent mark, <laughs> right? And a cliffhanger zone. Yes. But oh, so they, stuff, they, they left they left it left us on a cliffhanger in season. So three. that's the thing. Season three is very much the part of where Thunderbolt Fantasy, as a series, becomes confident enough in your investment in its characters and like grander meta narrative. That it feels confident enough to, like, leave you hanging, right? Like, season three still finishes up and addresses the kind of primary conflict of the story, but introduces these grander stakes that are not immediately addressed. And it's really good. I I would argue even season two, just like, while it hinted at more to come, it broadly wrapped up itself. Yes. And, And while season three also, like wraps up itself it has way more of a and we need to wrap up all of these other plot threads right but yeah it's just i don't know i'm i'm just like as someone who literally started watching that series this year like making it to season three i'm amazed at how well and how consistently they keep up the energy like Mm -hmm. they don't skip a beat right like three seasons in two full-length movies and And it's still still excited yeah yeah you're still just as excited if not more for, for yeah, I mean that is impressive happening. to stay consistent over that long period of time. Um, especially even just in the couple episodes I've watched so far, where literally every minute of dialogue is pure solid gold. Oh um, yeah, it, <laughs> how you can like, keep that up over three seasons? Right, and it's like they get even more confident in that going forward. Right, it's like they're they're not losing their luster, they're not running out of steam. Like they're just. They're just getting, like, more and more, like, just, just, they're just getting better at it, right? Like, it's not that the show's changing much, right? Season 3 is, in many ways, you know, not that different from what's going on in Season 1, but it's just, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just getting better at executing it with every season. It's really, really impressive, and uh, I right. think Season 3's got some great moments, some great characters. Uh, um, again, promise not to spoil it, but uh, uh, Rin Setsua is... Uh, that man someone needs to someone needs to stop that man because he's uh, going too far uh, alright well I will give you I mean you he arguably my... went too far from the very beginning so and he's know, still going in for a penny still... in for a pound still going making nendoroids left and right god yes but, oh yeah uh, yeah just had to give it a shout out because I do think that if we if we had if, if enough of us had finished it this season or this year, be a contender. Right. I think people would definitely right. be talking about it because that, that I'm gonna put it on definitely delayed from from last year. Sure, yeah. I'm gonna put it on tape. My personal guarantee that I will finish <laughs> all of it by season four. I mean, you're probably fine because they still haven't even announced the third movie. Yeah, yet, God so. knows when that'll be. I'm I'm sure they'll they can spring that up on us at any time, uh, but yeah, uh, sure. uh, it's kind of yeah. difficult to to make a puppet movie by remote work. So. Right, exactly. Mm. Mm, yeah, but yeah. Now we're those people. If if there's any development that <laughs> defines 2021, 
It's uh, we became those people who are now talk who are now talking about that puppet battle show. <laughs> yes. All right. I will definitely catch up with that. Um, especially if next season looks as bad as I think it is. But that's another topic for another day. Sure. Um, anything else we want to shout out uh, that didn't make the list? Uh, um, uh, like, I would never put it on a best of the year list, but Aquagaze and I have been watching Tropical Rouge Precure, and it's very, very fun, and we have developed an irrational love for the uh, cute miniature seal mascot, which Aqua wrote about in his post, so check that out. <laughs> uh, it's, it is delightful. That's all I'll say. What I watched of so, it with you folks was pretty enjoyable. So I mean, you've gone down a, that rabbit hole. It is a kids-ass kids show, but, you know, like, they're having some fun with it. I like it a lot. At this point, it's, yeah. like, at this point, it's basically... Sentai equivalent, right? Like, it's <laughs> yeah, been I mean, how many of, years it, straight? Uh, since the early two thousands, at least. Like, right, we're, we're closing in on twenty, almost years. twenty years, right? Yeah, you know, but they, you know, it's bright, it's colorful, it's goofy. Like, it kind of has the thing that we used to get from Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is it's just nice to spend time in this colorful environment where everyone is nice and all the villains do is cause petty mischief all the time. You know, it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I well, guess I want to just give a, a brief shout out then to uh, to a Godzilla Singular Point. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I feel like that is a show that you know would personally you know hit maybe six or seven even on my own list, but I feel like in this world where like Godzilla media or cross media is uh, inconsistent in quality, shall we say? <laughs> I think that uh, SP was a very cool take on the premise. Uh, I think they did a good job of sort of echoing the original themes of Godzilla, but finding new modern ways to interpret them in 2021. And uh, long live our king and savior, Jet Jaguar. Ah, yes, of course. People zero. I'm glad we could mention Jet Jaguar at least once on this podcast episode, but yeah. All right. I'm trying to think of anything I would mention, and for some reason the first thing that comes to mind is Jujutsu Kaisen. I forgot that aired this year. I also feel weird mentioning a Did series that's one book? of the most popular things going right now. You don't right, need but to tell I, me I will it. admit, right? It is like Weekly Shonen Jump anime adaptations are sort of the racing games equivalent when it comes to anime <laughs> awards. <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't Kaisen. come up. You look at Jujutsu, you look at Jujutsu Kaisen and you go, "Wow, those wheels are really round." Exactly, <laughs> Jujutsu Kaisen is the Forza Horizon Five of anime. <laughs> yes. Of, uh, I will point out as well that it was vote like Crunchyroll uh, users voted it the anime of the year. So if you need proof of mainstream penetration, that's it. Yeah, so you don't need me to tell. Like nobody needs me to. What was that, Iro? Gran Turismo of anime adaptations? Like, no, <laughs> yeah, because perhaps. that would mean no, that because we would it get one season, season of Jujutsu Kaisen every six years. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would give it a little more credit than that. No, I mean it was more than just looked nice. I mean it was it was it was it was a pretty good show. It was solid, um, you know. It's I I rewatched a couple episodes just to kind of like remind myself, and it's got a, it, it had a good energy to it, you know. Um, yeah. And I hope they carry mm-hmm. that going forward. You know, I, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't do the thing of like starting to read the manga afterwards. So I'm still in the dark. So I, I yeah. can't really speak to where that thing goes in the future. I know that movie just came out. I mean, I guess right. I'll probably check that it out. Cool movie, it, yeah. If it makes, yeah, that was one of the prequel, yeah. So you know, 
Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Jujutsu Kaisen, yeah. Um, Good job, <laughs> Sungho Park. Yeah. Probably Sungho the Park's second still, most popular uh, thing after Demon Slayer going still, right still now. Still killing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. We are down with the kids. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into our actual top ten list. Yes, the true we'll top start... ten. Top ten true. <laughs> we'll start at uh, number ten with Super Cub. So just to be um, clear, Joe, we're being paid for this, right? Paid for what? For putting well, Super my... Cub at number ten. For putting an yeah, my bike's coming in the mail, 10. right? Uh-huh. Hey, hey, look. Um, you're just gonna drive it to my house, right? I will. I will just say I'm not the only person that voted for it. And also, um, if I were getting paid, then I would not have my number one not make number one every single year, because my number one never makes number one. Um, <laughs> hey, that's my it, job. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so Super Cub uh, is a series about the... <laughs> well, I don't know if it's about the girl or the Super Cub itself. Super Cub, of course, <laughs> referring to the, uh, the Honda motorcycle, which is like the most... Uh, produced and used vehicle in all of history or something like that well you know and... you know gel unlike unlike most bike anime uh <laughs> super cub is about the characters yeah unlike uh bakuan yes <laughs> no it actually is like as, mu- as much as i joke about <laughs> uh as much as i joke about the the shameless product placement and whatnot um it is actually a very good slice of life sh- series um, it's definitely more in the vein of like the laid back camps of the world where it's very laid back, uh, compared to uh-huh. what, you know, I think, I think the anime version of slice of life, a lot of times we think of more of like super colorful and high energy and all that. And that is not what the show is. It's very, um, more, it's much more down to earth and deliberate. And I very much liked the characters and, um, how they developed it's it's not a club show, so like it's not like they're in a club and they they there's not a lot of school activity things going on. Right, um, it's they're just, just driving basi- around on their own time. Yeah, it's just basically two girls bonding over their love of the Super Cub. I mean, I think I think that's a smart choice if you're going to like lean into the like thematic elements of what these bikes represent to these characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if they were just part of a club, then it would just kind of be the same old like. Ah, you know, yeah, ah, shonen, find your purpose in, uh-huh. you know, given school club of your choice, right? <laughs> but if the point of, like, you know, owning the Super Cub is finding your independence, your freedom, so to speak, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. I think it makes yes. a lot more sense that it's not that they're part of a club, it's that, you know, they're they're riding free in the streets. <laughs> yes, that's very much what they're going for. Yeah, because you do the club thing, then, it'd be, then you fall into all the cliches that come with that. And it ends up being more like cute girls drinking tea and eating cake and then occasionally talking in strange amounts of detail about whatever specific subject uh-huh. the show is about. <laughs> but that is not the case here. So, um, it, yeah, so it's just a, it's a very good example of this particular genre if uh, you're into that kind of thing. All right. Let's go to number nine where we have yeah. uh, to, to Your Eternity. Hmm. This uh, somehow made this, it, huh? Yeah, so this... Um, for me, this was a show of high highs and low lows, if that makes yeah. sense. When it was so good, if, it if, was anybody's not, good. if anybody's not familiar, this is a adaptation of a manga that a lot of uh, the Glorio crew has read and 
really liked. Uh-huh. So we were pretty excited about it. Uh, the adaptation was not always great, but as I was thinking about it, um, mm-hmm. if you removed, and this is a big <laughs> if. <laughs> what are you about to say? If you removed the final third of the series, which is the what we refer to as the Crime Island arc, <laughs> um, it was actually pretty good. Like there were a lot of there were a lot of really strong moments, as Zig said. The, this the critique high is very high. much just like, well, if you remove all the bad parts <laughs> and leave right. only the good, good parts. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, even if you did take just take that out, there were still I still would have other criticisms of it. But like, I there are things that I would be able to put up with, I guess. But I mean, I, 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 I the, mostly agree. Like, I think that. Um, I think that there are some problems which run all the way through the show, but those problems become much more obvious when you have way less strong material, and the Crime Island arc is not great, really, in any regard, I don't think. Yeah. So. But, I mean, it, it's the... So the, 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 the premise of, you know, for those people not familiar, it's about this immortal entity that named Fushi, eventually named Fushi, and... Uh-huh who mostly takes the form of humans and learns about how humans work and all that. There's a lot of the whole sadness of immortality thing going on. Uh-huh. And when it it's firing on, when it's firing on all cylinders, it can be very tragic and beautiful and very, you know, poignant. And, you know, when it's not, it's not, but um, <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, you know, I, I guess I, I don't want to just lose the, the, I want to give credit where credit is due for the parts that it does well, you know, particularly the beginning. And as much as I didn't like the final third, the last episode is fantastic. Yeah. They did yeah. finish on a strong yeah, the, note, at the least. The first and last episodes are probably the best part of that, best episodes in that show, weirdly. Like, it yeah. starts really well and ends really well. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that... Um, I think that it is overall more successful than than not successful. You know, I think it has some really powerful moments. Uh, I think that they tell the stories they have pretty well. Um, could it have used more time, more money? You know, all of those things probably. But you know, at at, at some point, you can always say that. You know, yeah. I think uh, I think you know, I'm one of the people who hasn't read the original material. And, like, based on this series, I would say, A, yes, I'm interested in reading the original, and B, this very much seemed like a functional adaptation rather than a disaster or a triumph. Well, I think right. I think, I think the reason why I, as someone who loves the manga and why I came generally so hard on, mm-hmm. came down so hard on To Your Eternity is that, like, we've seen what a really good adaptation can do like for a manga, like right. if you look at our own top ten lists in past years, our our twenty nineteen anime of the year was B Stars, right? Like Doro hit Doro hit top three uh, last year. You know, it's like I I think I think obviously you want to believe that like the strength of a source material can always come through, like that's regardless. Not always, but that's but not always true. Like, I think we know that's not true. I think that. An adaptation, like the presentation, the way it's framed, the way it's presented, can make or break a story. And I feel like, for at least for my personal relationship with To Your Eternity, I feel like this adaptation broke it in, mm. in a lot of ways. And I think that's unfortunate because I think it's a story, you know, this is like, 
you know, for me, this is like my my uh, this is my most recent like golden kamui. You know, this is a situation of this story. I think it deserves so much better. But you know, I will concede though, as you guys said, I think that when and maybe that's why I think it's because when it hits, right. you get a glimpse of what this like oh, anime could if, have been. It was all if it could always run on all cylinders like this episode, right? Like what this story could have been, but. I do think that, yes, overall, though, I, I think that its themes are largely still communicated at the end of the day, and I, I hope its appeal mo- still mostly lands with people, at least enough to, you know, <laughs> convince them to read the manga. Yeah. If <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say we wouldn't want people to just write off the franchise. Certainly from, not. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, it's, it's worth um, looking into for yourself, at the very least. All right, let's move along to number eight, where we have uh, Wonder Egg Priority. <laughs> this um, might be the worst show in the top ten. It, I also, think I voted for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, honestly, it's... based on the ways you've talked about that show, that doesn't sound like a controversial take. I'm looking at the rest of our top yeah. ten list and, like... Yeah, it seems like number it's, eight here is the is the one you would apply that label to. It it's so complicated. I think that mm. the first twelve episodes of this show I might have picked as my best show of the year. I think it's really good. I think that it is it's beautiful, it's emotional, it tells terrific character stories. I think that it is uh an interesting look at a difficult subject that's handled with a great deal of sensitivity. And then there's that last episode. Uh, but before we get too much further into it, do we want to, do one of you guys want to give just a, just like a brief summary of Wonder Egg Priority? Sure. Just yeah. I mean, uh, it's a story about a girl called I, uh, who has um, become a shut in, you know, a hikikomori, a neat, whatever you want to call it. Um, because uh, her, her best friend at school committed suicide. And um, she discovers a sort of weird, fantastical, magical world populated by bizarre people who claim that uh, if she runs their weird game, uh, then they can bring her friend back to life. And it sort of carries on from there in a very sort of surrealist dreamy take on that premise you know there are other characters she meets Mm. other girls who have also lost people who are you know trying to reclaim them and you know it it sort of goes all over the place a little bit you know i mean it's one of those shows where the framing device is very much a framing device to get in there and tell stories about you know death life redemption you know interpersonal relationships and all that kind of thing um and I think it was very good at doing that, honestly. You know, I think uh I think that there have definitely there were definitely some some rough patches, you know, this was another show whose production was affected quite badly, not only by COVID, but also just by like incredibly poor scheduling and, and staffing and all that kind of thing. You know, I mean this this was kind of a thing with all the shows produced by Cloverworks this year, but uh definitely a troubled production um and 
you know, I think I think the final result bears the scars of that. You know, it is it is extremely disjointed. It doesn't really have an ending. Like it just sort of stops. And like for those of you who aren't aware, like the show ended without um without a concluding episode and they put the concluding episode back three months to be aired in a uh, special and that concluding episode was extremely bad and contained some very very bad writing which uh, arguably undermined everything else that the show had to say <clears throat> and and so it's very complicated you know I think that um, I, I think that it's definitely one of the shows that I thought about the most and like enjoyed writing about the most but it's it's fatally flawed in in like a really heartbreaking way you know yeah like i i think there is a parallel universe where this becomes the number one show of the the year like they're they're they had the the talent and the ambition to do it and you know for whatever whether it was external factors or you know i i've read a lot about kind of there's there was a lot of discussion about um i mean there was I apparently guess, a creative tug of war between the writer yeah, and the director. Yeah, right. some some conflicting messages from like the the writers and the director, and like it, you know maybe there was not a clear vision of what they actually wanted to say. Um, and you know we still get what I think are fragments of really good material, uh, but you know some of those individual episodes are barn burners. They're absolutely terrific. You know. Yeah. Um, um it, it's just it's just we have to put that huge asterisks at the end with yeah. the finale where I, I agree with everything you said zig it, it like they totally torpedo <laughs> everything that they I were mean, doing you know, the, the thing about it is not just that it's a bad episode of anime it's that i think the ideas it promotes are harmful and dangerous and yes distasteful to say the least um and you know i wrote about it you know, I wrote about every episode of that show. You can go and read that stuff, you know. But I think, you know, I still wanted to vote for it. I still wanted to put it on this list. I'm glad that it's on this list. But but it is just a shadow of what it could have been, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's... Even the shadow had, had brilliant moments, but it's it's disappointing, ultimately. Yeah, one, one way or the other, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic and just approach mm-hmm. it at your own risk basically <laughs> mm. I, I would definitely recommend that people who are interested in sort of you know character focused narratives and and stuff about you know these fairly heavy topics about you know suicide self-harm those kind of things i think it has a lot of interesting things to say about those things mm. just you know don't really expect there to be any sort of conclusion or or satisfactory answer to some of the questions it poses you know yeah, you're not going to get the payoff at the end. Yeah. So. A shame, but still still definitely one of the shows I thought about the most this year. Yeah. All right. Let's go to number seven, where we have uh, Shadow's House. Uh, now this was primarily getting uh, championed by Peter, who is unfortunately not here to talk about it. But... Um, in the interest of trying to do it justice, I actually ended up watching the first episode just to kind of get a feel for what was going on here. And uh, I, I kind of liked it, the first episode. 
Um, and it, I, I probably would have checked it out if uh, it did not have the misfortune <laughs> of happening in the spring season. Oh, was where, it spring 2021? Yeah. Yeah. Where there <laughs> were... A tough time to come out for, <laughs> you know, any anime that was not the, like, four or five or at, so we were all talking at, about. As we'll see when we get to our top five, right, uh, yeah. spring season was packed. Um, so, but yeah, no, it, it, it's... The, the premise is a little weird to explain. It kind of makes sense when you watch it. But there is this mansion filled with these shadow people who are essentially like silhouettes of humans wearing clothes basically and when these shadows come of age they receive a copy of themselves called a doll that looks like a real human and that doll becomes like their servant it's very strange um and it's interesting the tone of the show most of what's actually happening was like kind of it's basically centered around this one girl who gets her shadow and they're kind of becoming friends and there's sort of like this there's real like underlying creepiness to it because like on the surface it's just like cute little vignettes of them becoming friends but it's like they kind of hint at there's some weird possibly sinister things happening in the background um and that's kind of i think where the the interesting parts come into play like you know if this girl is meant to be her copy then why does she have her own personality and all that and you know those kinds of questions um or like in the first episode uh she's teaching her doll how to read and the doll's trying to read these papers that i'm pretty sure she's not supposed to read <laughs> Which I'm, ah. is probably going to lead down through some other rabbit hole or something. So I don't know how like serious it gets. And there's also already a season two announced, so I don't know how far they mm. even get with the story. But it's a pretty. It was a. I thought it was a pretty unique, interesting vibe going on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, with it. Uh, anytime I you do, kind I of get recall. that combination of like the cute and creepy, that can be effective. I do recall but, hearing uh, that. Uh... Season two, season two happened because season one was so well received, and they did not expect a season two, and so there may have been sure. a, a, a. My understanding is they they put some story stuff from the manga in earlier than normal because they ah. thought there would only be one season. Oh, because they didn't think there's no way we we're ever going to get a second season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, guess now they get to uh, they get to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know how to uh, just make that all. Yeah. Uh, mesh together smoothly in season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and and you know, you know, aside from Peter, just, most other people that I've heard um, that's have watched this have been positive about it. So, um, you know, unfortunately, like I said, I don't, none of us on this podcast have actually watched it beyond right. the first episode <laughs> here, so we can't really go too much more in depth. But uh, but know. if you'd like to hear uh, somebody who has finished it, you know. Give it, you know, write their thoughts on it. Uh, Peter wrote uh, the entry for uh, Shadow's House for our top ten posts, so you can take a look yes. at that if you'd like to actually hear from somebody who uh, <laughs> finished yeah. it. Yes, they also spoke. On actually, it, I don't. Uh, I don't remember if we. I don't remember if we actually mentioned that, but there isn't a post with the top ten where we have all written about these shows, so you can yes follow along at home uh, with uh-huh, us. Uh-huh. But, yeah. All right. Let's go to number six. Where we have Beastars season two, I 
when this show finished, I could not imagine that it would fall <laughs> as low as number six. Yeah, like, so I think if there's crazy. any if there's any single indicator of how good this season was, Beastars was our number one anime yeah. of 2019. Yeah, and yeah. for what it's worth, I think this season two is considerably better than the first. Yeah, season. I, I think like this is I as much as I was about to make a joke about how the mighty have fallen, like. You know, in some regards, maybe it is a bit of an upset. I remember literally saying out loud, just you watch Beastars Season 2 is going to be our number one anime of the year again. (laughs) And I said that not knowing what kind of year Beastars Season 2, you know. This is very much not like Beastars Season 2 is a worse season or or that it falls apart or that it has made any, like, critical errors. It's merely that Beastars Season 2 was facing, like, an unprecedented level of competition yeah. in 2021. Yeah. And it did air, like, at the very beginning of 2021. So, yes. um, yeah, a lot happened yeah, th- since this, then. This one is pretty much a 2021 show by the dint of, like, two episodes that aired yes. this year or something. But yeah. so, still, you know... That said, uh, it's still very good. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Beastars, you know, for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah. It is the story... Of you know an animal society in which a wolf falls in love with a rabbit, and uh, endures um, even though insane. That, <laughs> that plotline is barely relevant to this. I'm trying season, to give right? the like, <laughs> trying to give right. the two sentence uh-huh. summary here. Yeah, uh, we'll just say he that, that wolf goes through some insane uh, uh, trials and tribulations in the name of realizing that love. Uh huh, and. Um, Yes. You know, you're right that that's not the focus of season two, but in many ways, uh, Lugosi going on his quest to find Temp's killer is entirely about his love for Haru. See, so. I'm, I'm going to disagree with something you said earlier, which is you said it's not like Beastars season two falls apart, and my argument is it totally falls apart. It's just the most entertaining collapse. I don't know what you're talking seen. about. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. It is about. just this like the... it's like twelve episodes of like a car crash with drums of kerosene in the back seat. I, I, I don't it's know. Like, uh, sure, the snake never came back, but it's fine. It's fine. We don't. Uh... We don't need an yeah, explanation. We still don't really know what a B star is. So I, th- I think the <laughs> what's a B star? Oh my god! I think the the like enjoyable aspect of Paritagaki's writing uh, with with something like B stars is just how it continues to escalate and yeah. just go weirder and weirder places, and that that no uh, normal story ever would bother going i mean after the climax of this season you could tell me the next season takes place on the moon and i would be like <laughs> yeah no that makes sense of course yeah, yeah. yeah. just like it checks just, out just a gradually escalating in like i don't know where like it crossed the line was it the big snake was it the uh fucking like spirit journey uh was it <laughs> the moth yeah yeah you know was it the bit where he beats up that cheetah you know, there's just so many potential turning points of utter insanity. And it's great. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. I think in many ways, Beastars is a story where, like, you know, it is a story that realizes it is picking up speed increasingly to a, to a dangerous degree. It is doing, like, increasingly crazier things and realizes it can't stop. Like, mm-hmm. that now that it has committed to this track, it must <laughs> yeah, continue. It, it definitely does have that feel of kind of like, oh, the momentum is carrying us along, you know, 
to hell or high water because right. we just like, we cannot, cannot stop now. You cannot step back from this ledge. Well, we're already like, going downhill. Hit the gas. Right, yeah. like you're already in this bare-chested, bare-knuckled fist fight with this eight-foot-tall grizzly bear. We can't stop here. So instead, what happens if we put in Super Saiyan instead? <laughs> yeah, what if... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, what if, what if Lugosi unlocks his Ultra Instinct? I... God. Yeah. I, I, I love I, these that, stars. That last like, episode do. was... God... <laughs> Yeah, I, so I, I almost man, I almost wish like selfishly that in season two I was still the only person who had read the manga oh, just to man. see your fresh reactions to the climax <laughs> of season two. I, well, I mean, Zig and I still there. didn't read it, right? Like, I remember yes, getting, so I, I remember reading yeah, long after season one, getting to the climax of season two and gasping out loud in a room alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's that kind of like that, that kind that, of series. That climax inspired the kind of incredulity in me, which I've only reserved for like certain parts of JoJo before. Like, <laughs> it's just, just like a complete like what? Just like total a combination of like shock, glee, and total disorientation. Yeah, I mean, again, I think credit words do. I think season two does what you want from a sequel. You know, it escalates uh-huh. while still maintaining all of the like familiar traits you enjoyed, you know, about its predecessor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you and I can speak to, of course, there are certain quibbles we might have about this adaptation. You know, like it very much struggles from a pacing standpoint to fit <laughs> its entire plot line into these like 12, right. 13 episodes but, it has. Which is what but, I was going to also bring up is that like us having that perspective. Also, I think highlights like how actually they did a really good job. Yes, adapting they still didn't. I, again, yeah. this is what I'm talking about. What I say, an adaptation can make or break a show. I think Studio Orange has continued to do a really great job with these oh, stars. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I hope they keep it going in season three. You know, I, I God, think I'm um, so worried about season three, though. So am I. I am deeply concerned about season three, but. In many ways, maybe that's something to be get excited about because when I say I'm deeply concerned about season three, it is because y'all, it just gets fucking crazy from here. All right, like that's all I can really well, say. Didn't they? Didn't they? Aren't they calling it the final season or something? Yeah, There's so much too. ground to cover though. There's like a lot. Look, I'm the person who's like, if I was Mr. Netflix or whatever. B-Stars would be getting five seasons, because I think that's the bare (laughs) minimum you would actually need to smoothly land this plane. And them saying they were going to end it in its third season is very much like the plane is saying, check out this uh... sick trick and doing a nosedive. And at the bottom, where it's trying to land, is like a fucking loop-de-loop ramp. And it's like, I bet I can land this. Uh, well... God. We'll we'll see how that goes. I don't know. They they killed Cowboy Bebop. Maybe money's tight at Netflix these days. <laughs> um. Uh. All right. Well, B Star is still good. Uh huh. Let's uh, let's pr- proceed to the top five. Yes, well, top we get five. The, the real heavy speaking hitters. Of here. Shows, <laughs> so, spe- speaking uh. of shows that are a laugh riot that have you rolling in the aisles every minute. Oh yeah. <laughs> So for, before we before we get to the actual shows here, I just want to say like I feel like for our top five, you could make a case for any of these shows being the best anime of the year, and oh, I might definitely. not agree with you, but I'd be like, all right, I I could see why you might think that. 
Um, yeah, I, I agree. I would have been happy if any of these had won. I, I think really. it's, yeah, it's, it's that kind of uh that kind of list. So yes. Um at at number 5 we have uh Nomad, which is Megalobox 2, the sequel to Megalobox. Yeah. yeah. Um somehow they made a sequel to Megalobox and yeah, somehow, somehow it was very that... very good. And somehow it almost and somehow despite I think all of us here agreeing when Megalobox 1 aired that it was a fully complete story. That now, in hindsight, Nomad feels like essential, absolute yeah. necessary sequel. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think that's the most flattering thing you can say about any sequel, right? Right. Like, yeah. That it it makes the original feel incomplete without it. Yeah, you know? like yeah. like you know, just to like you know, so you know, just to quickly summarize, Nomad is the sequel to Megalobox, which is the spiritual sort of a uh, sequel to the original uh, classic boxing manga Ashita no Joe. Yes. Sort of um, a setting, spiritual successor in a different setting for yes, a reboot. Yes. And uh, Megalobox is about, again, a a rough-and-tumble underdog boxer by the name of Joe trying to make it to the top in uh, the sport of Megalobox, which <laughs> is a, a cybernetic boxing in a, in a, in a dystopian future. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, Nomad, its sequel, is about Joe's fall and subsequent redemption. And... Mm-hmm his quest to find his own self-actualization and self-love in a lot of ways uh, uh, in this season. And, I mean, you know, just to be honest, like, this is, you know, this is my personal number one of 2021, like like the original Megalobox was. I think, I just think Nomad, you know, even more than the original is, like, just a wholly uncompromised work. Mm-hmm. In terms of the vision it is trying to realize, it. I just, I just don't like it, as a character piece, right? Like, I, there, yeah. there's just nothing else like Nomad in its scope, in the, the depths it's willing to go. Like, you know, this is a show that is dark without feeling, um, grim. I mean, or exploitive, right? Like, right, it, right, it, right. Yeah. It's very adult in the way that a lot of people claim anime is, but like it very rarely is, if that makes sense. Right. In, yes. in the sense that, you know, this feels like a very you know, it tackles a number of difficult emotions and subjects and it doesn't like have nicely wrapped up answers for you. Yeah. You like, know, right. I mean Joe doesn't like he doesn't have a revelation at the first opportunity. You right. know, he, he still is, does he bad is shit. Crawling through the muck to reach his revelation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like and I think the reason why it ends up ends up working in the end is because like for as kind of unflinchingly grim as Nomad can get at times, you know, the mm-hmm. the depths to which Joe sinks are truly like gut wrenching to watch. Um it is a show that possesses like an immense amount of empathy. Like right. this is this is an anime that never ever like loses its faith in the human soul. It's in... a very emotional show, despite the um, you know, despite the very grim presentation. It, it it's yeah. actually a show that is, you know, about feelings and about <laughs> totally, relationships. Yeah. You know, as as trite as that sounds, but I, I think that is definitely correct. It, it, t- it I, takes I think... a lot to have your. To have your protagonist, your viewpoint character, be positioned both sympathetically and completely in the wrong. Yeah. 
like, the thing, you know, not to, you know, I don't want to spoil it, of course, but, you know, obviously, you know, the premise of the sequel is that Joe, you know, won the big tournament in season one, and season two opens with Joe, you know, so hobo, in a very, like... in a very dark place, mm-hmm. right, and I think that, like, a lesser story would have pulled its punches, right, mm-hmm. or would have even done the extremely trite, like, oh, no, Joe didn't actually mess up. He's just, like, too hard on himself, right? <laughs> and for right, the show right. to, like, actually even call out that, like, self-martyrdom complex that Joe has mm. and, like, to get into, like, how deeply, like, actually selfish and self-centered, right? Like, how for all his talks of, oh, like, I couldn't bring myself to face you guys and all that stuff, like, how even that comes from, like, his very, like, sick, like, almost incurable, like, sense of personal pride, that he cannot, like, bring himself to let go of. And, like, in the ways that the best redemption stories work, like, Joe has to be completely broken. Like, broken down into his constituent parts (laughs) and rebuilt into something stronger and healthier and less toxic. Right. And... I think it does does understand that, like, I think a lot of bad redemption stuff is about the personal redemption of, like, fixing yourself, but... Actual, right. real redemption arcs have, like, you have to pay your dues to everybody you've wronged. Yes. It's not just about fixing yourself. It is fixing everything you've done to other people. Exactly, right? Like, this is a, you know, no man is an island, right? Like, it's it's very much like your, your path to redemption also involves, yeah, like... Yeah, not just fixing yourself, but also fixing, you know, the th- the, the external factors that you have irreparably broken. And the fact that, like, Nomad, like, never, like, never pulls its punches, never flinches away from it, right? It, it fully commits to, like, this is the story of Joe's redemption, and these are the things he has, he, he must go through to achieve it. I think and, as well, oh, sorry, yeah, go on. Uh, no, no, you actually, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what gratifies me most about the show is that it is not afraid of being complex and of painting a complicated situation in in complicated tones you know i mean joe is not all scumbag and not all hero you know he is a complex mix of the both and likewise the characters he interacts with you know this is not a binary situation you know it is not Mm -hmm. something which can which easily falls into the good bucket or the bad bucket you know and the show understands that it embraces that you know and and in, in you know in in a medium where a lot of the time that complexity is missing, I mean, actually, that's unfair. In a lot of media, <laughs> uh, that complexity is missing, you know. And I think that's what makes this story feel real is the understanding that there is, there are layers here, you know, like difficult and difficult problems to unpick that need to be broken down on more than one level. Definitely, and I will not spoil it. Uh, but I, I do have to give a shout out to its unbelievably bold choice for its ending. Mm. Like, yeah, I think I think we've all talked here and there, right? You know, in theory about the concept of the anticlimax, right? Right. Like, can you make something purposely bad so that the work <laughs> becomes better as a result? And how that is like the tightest of tight ropes one can possibly walk. Yeah, yeah, and. Somehow, like, Nomad's last episode, like, in some regards, not being a very good episode of anime boxing, is actually the most thematically perfect, like, thing you could do. 
to right. send off the story. And of and course, like whenever we, <laughs> I think is anyone time anyone says that it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> Right. I know, right? It sounds like bullshit, right? It sounds like, yeah. oh, the game's bad. Oh, No More Heroes Open World is bad on purpose. You know? <laughs> but I, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I will say that there's a fundamental difference between being bad on purpose in a game and being bad on purpose in a... Uh, in <laughs> More like passive a, media. A passive media. But yeah. I, think, I think, like, describing the end of Nomad as bad on purpose is, is not quite correct, I You're think. You're right. I'm it, being it, it, yeah, it, like, it denies the... Uh, like what one normally expects of a climax for yes. emotional effect. Yes. I think that I think describing it as anticlimactic is is more correct in terms of sure, yeah. In, in terms of the accepted narrative, you know. But I think, you know, I think that is important, you know, because it shows that Joe has broken away from the cliches that ruled his life. You know, it's almost right. a piece of meta narrative. You know, yeah. in, in the sense that you know he does the thing that nobody expects him to do, and that ultimately is the triumph rather than right. the more expected. Like, and, and believe me, I love it. Like I, yes. I, the, the last episode is why Nomad is my number one <laughs> anime of 2021. I, I, I am truly in love with it as a narrative choice, and that's why I, I just felt like I had to bring it up because I think you're right. Yeah. Like calling it bad is reductive. Like I, I was mostly just using it as as a shorthand, but. I just think it's it's such a bold choice. I, I just feel like I don't know, man. Like I, the 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 rest of the anime on this list are all very good, but I don't know if any of them like commits as hard to like a choice as, as Nomad does in its last episode. And I think that's why for me it, mm. it really it really like earned a spot for in, I mean, in I, my heart. I, I think I think Nomad is the most character focused of the shows that we still have to cover. You know, I mean, it is, it is very much about the journey of this one person. And whereas season one was about his journey from the bottom to the top, you know, this is kind of a more nuanced journey about, you know, trying to find himself in a, in a world where he has been to the top and that is no longer the goal of his life. Right. And, and I think, I think none of the other shows on this uh, on this list can manage that because none of them are so intently focused on, you know, the mm-hmm. the travails of this single character, and that's an incredible strength. You know that that's that really makes it unique and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, anyway, I that's mean, number I, five. I know, right? That's like that's five. the truly. Like I mean, this is what I'm saying, right? This is the truly insane thing about this top five list, right? Is like here we are singing the praises of like this this <laughs> unbelievable story, and we're like, well, let's move on to number four. You're right. <laughs> it's, that's why I'm saying every everybody who's here in this top five, like fucking, give yourself a pat on the Ugh. back because you could have been a number one in a lesser year, like without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to number four. <laughs> um, at number four, we have one of two shows in our top five that kind of came out completely out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Um, it invaded present <laughs> number four. We have a uh, Vivi Fluoride Eyes song. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This this was, I think we all thought it was going to be some kind of like musical idol show right because the, yeah, the, like, the, like it, i mean it kind of is but like, yeah they like canned uh description pre-release was like but but yeah in the sort of like you know let's gondore our way to the top yeah yeah and i was like yeah that uh, was the theme sort of, park stuff as yeah. well. Yeah. right 
Yeah, and um, it turned out to be uh, actually more of a time traveling sci fi thriller type of thing. Um, with uh, yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, the main character is kind of a super version of a theme park animatronic uh, singing yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. robot. It's basically it's basically the Terminator, but with more J pop. Yeah, and, and and she has to uh, save the world from yeah. the robot apocalypse. What if the country uh, bear jamboree by, had to save the, the world? Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, by uh, you know stopping or uh, or changing certain events over the next the course of the next one hundred years, and um, it's pretty great. Like I feel like this, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, this uh, hits so many things that I love in an anime. I like, I would I think... like to I would like to start with the easy uh shot, which is it has been way too long since we have had some good old fashioned nineteen eighties like pretty girl kicks ass with k- kung fu shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time, that was the anime promise. You will have hot right. ladies kicking ass and doing sweet flips and neck breakers and stuff. And the fights in this are terrific. They're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, probably uh, I would say 2021's knife fight of the year uh, goes to Vivi. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, but no, you're totally right. I think the thing I love about Vivi being on this list is that Vivi is, of our top five, probably the absolute most conventional anime of the five. Oh, yeah. Like, hot girl goes on an adventure to save the day, and there's some fucking, you know... But but the thing Mamoru is, like... Oshi-ass fucking navel-gazing. Yeah. And... But, but the thing is, like, I'd agree with you 20 years ago, you know, but we don't actually get many like super high quality original bits of sci-fi anime anymore. You are correct. Anymore. Yeah. Like, like yeah. And it, in, just... If it, if this were made uh, in more recent times, she would have been a high school girl, and uh, you know, right? There would be all that. Uh, it's funny how like a lot of their pre-release, some of the concept stuff they put. She's always wearing a school uniform, and then like. And she does in the, like, Mind Palace segments yes, of the show, yes. but, like, in the actual show, she's never in a school uniform. It's such a good, it's a good red herring. <laughs> I think, like, and, and you know... But, yeah, I, sound... I think, um, I'm, I'm finding as time has gone on, I, like, remember the show even more fondly for some reason, but... Mm. I, I just... agree, actually. Yeah. It, I think... The, the, you the know, we, we're about... kind of, we're kind oh, of throwing out some, like, real superficial sounding reasons why this is a good show but i think uh to zig's point we actually don't get shows like this very often anymore yeah and the execution of it is just like top notch um yeah whether it's you know one one thing i wanted to say as well is that like it's not superficial to say it's just cool you know, it's yeah. just a cool show. <laughs> right. Like, cool shit happens. Like, 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 this is the thing. Vivi is good at pretty much everything it tries. It's a decent character drama. You know, it's a good time travel story. It's an excellent action show. You know, it has some real good whodunit elements. You know, it's yeah. quite funny on occasion. It is supremely all-rounded. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I think Vivi is definitely, like, you know... You know, if we were if we, if we gave out like Hall of Fame style awards, right? <laughs> Vivi is your all rounder of the year, right? Like just solid in, 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 in basically everything it tries to, you know. And I think, 
But also, I do want to give it credit where it's due. I think that it does leverage its premise well. I think that the stuff it does with its AI people are are strong, you know, yeah. legitimately compelling and interesting. Like, you know, I think most of us here are at that point in our lives where we are no longer interested in asking if androids are people. We know androids are people. What can you do with them? Right. That is interesting, unlike what you can do with actual human beings right. in fiction. What, and I what think, is the point of telling the story if the androids are not human? Like, that's why right. you're here mm-hmm. to begin with. And, and I can appreciate a story that has the confidence to be like, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, David Cage. We already answered that question, <laughs> like, 20 years ago. <laughs> like, we have way more interesting questions we want to ask. And I think it does. Like, I think, you know, there are some, like... Iro, what did we compare it to? Like, uh, it was like Uchikoshi. Like, like there's some like right, and you're near automata. Right, like there's some like fucking nine 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 ass like twists in Vivi <laughs> that like. And the reason why I joked when I said it invaded presents number four Vivi, <laughs> is that it kind of has that like that energy of just like that willingness to just commit hard to a cliffhanger. Oh yeah, that like episode has... the, like five six episode arc. Uh, yeah, the the whole Grace arc, which which, yes. is, which is like amplified more by the fact that this is happening over the span of a hundred years. So like you could skip twenty years in right. between episodes. Right. Go, what the fuck happened? Twenty over twenty. And then you got to figure they, out what happened. They do take advantage of that. Like they they take advantage of that by playing with your perception of time. You know, and even like the perception of the characters. The, the perception they have of each other and even themselves shifts. Like, there's a mm-hmm. very memorable mid-season twist, which I think you all know the one I'm talking about, which is like, oh, we basically, like, cleared the board and reset the pieces, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they do really good work with what could be quite a cliched idea. Yeah. Like, like, the, whole, like... the whole time travel thing, like, that time travel is, like, in my top like three like most tired things i'm very sick of <laughs> and they they still even managed to find a way to like use that to their advantage you know oh yeah you know, totally with did. with the time skips and the how they handle those and you know dipping into a little bit of the sadness of immortality all that yeah. you know uh it, it's they, they they even though they're doing things that on paper are you know conventionally sound like things that have been done before you know they're they're doing it so well and finding their own kind of little angles with them yeah and definitely yeah and, and you know what shout outs to like you know again you know even though we were just talking about how oh man we we just don't get those kind of shows where a hot girl kicks a dude's head off anymore like actually shout outs to like vivi as a character you know and like right. especially her partnership with matsumoto i think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty underrated like friendship that it, it, as far as like you know, anime duos go, you know, like even in this year, I think like I really, really grew to love Vivian Matsumoto's dynamic. Like, I think they each give as good as they get, you know. Yeah, I definitely. Think it it definitely feels like like power struggle maybe makes it sound a bit over the top, you know, but definitely it, it feels like two smart characters fencing with each other, you know, they they both come back and forth with their debates and everything and and, and you see that affection growing, you know, to, to the point where they, they do become much firmer partners, you know, and I think it, it's really sharp, I think it's occasionally very funny, you know, I think 
Uh, in particular, Jun Fukuyama's performance as Matsumoto is excellent. He's really oh, yeah. spiky in the right way. And, you know, I think this is the thing, right? When shows are good at everything, every other part informs the other part. Because we yeah. care about Vivi as a character, because she is an interesting and important person to us, it's that much more satisfying when she does go around kicking dudes' heads off and throwing people out <laughs> of windows and stuff like that, you know, because it right. means something. She feels vulnerable in a way. Definitely. Um, and, you know, hey, you know what? Those songs are pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, bad. I'm always a fan of singing uh, uh, some kind of dramatic pop val- ballad over dogfighting yeah. or uh, some other action scene, like some some real heavy Macross vibes on some of these. Right. Uh, <laughs> like I feel like I feel like the last episode reminded me why I still try to give Macross even the littlest bit of rope is <laughs> because deep down I really do love a spectacle. In which that, you got a girl singing a song in the middle of all of it. <laughs> that that do you remember love uh, yeah. type of uh, vibe. But yeah. You're in universe AMV. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it this it's just a it's a good show all around. Um I mean I I would anybody that's into anime I think would enjoy this. Uh, if, I think so, so. I mean it's it's a very broad appeal to it as well, so um, yeah. Definitely worth checking out. All right. Let's go to number three, where we have uh, the Heika story. This is some uh, historical fiction. Uh, it's a, is it like an adaptation of an adaptation or something like that? Yeah, yeah. basically. Like, this is, it is very clearly an adaptation of, you know, the Heika story that is the, the piece of fiction. And not yes. an adaptation of the Genpei War. <laughs> right. I, I right. think specifically it is an adaptation of a novelization from the fifties, like the oh, no, it's, it's, uh, many, tech, uh, oh boy. <laughs> how many layers yeah, deep are we going on several. this one? I, I, I kind of. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I kind of get the impression they they kind of picked and picked and choose what they wanted. I, I believe. Yeah, I, mean, I believe this, this is. But more, more specifically, uh, so it, 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 from a novelization ahead, from the mid from like twenty sixteen, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. my bad. Then. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the point so it is, is this... this story is well known. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a historical fiction about the the rise and fall of the Tyra clan. Um, so it's you know, uh, medieval medieval Japan court intrigue, all that stuff. But this it is more focused on you know the the core family that is generally removed from, like, the war going on, right? And it's kind of, like, more their lives and how they're impacted by, you know, these decisions that are happening over their heads. For a story about a civil war, there is remarkably little war. Yeah. One might even say that, uh, unlike most historical fiction, (laughs) the Heika story is about the characters. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, th- this was really this was a really great series, though. Oh yeah, um, yeah. all across the board. Um, I think this is this is like we we t- we talked about it so recently because it just finished, you know, about a month ago or something. Yeah, and the same thing kind of still stands where it's like I do feel like this is one of perhaps more than any of the shows on the top five here to really appreciate. You got to watch it. Like it's very difficult to explain. 
yeah. Um, yes. on a podcast. Because like, like I think Vivi is easy to explain because it's anime as you know it. The Heika story <laughs> is like it's like polar opposite. It's it's such a like an ephemeral feeling, right? Like what and makes it work, what makes it sing. I, I think that's because, you know, we know the story and they know we know the story, if that makes sense, you know. And so it becomes a show that is more about the things that the medium can bring to the story. So you you know, you focus on things like the acting, the visuals, the music, you know, all of those things. And I think it does the most important thing that, like, historical or adaptations of well-known stories do, which is it takes the fact that you know what's going to happen and uses it to build the story. Like, you know tragedy is coming. You know, yes. You know this will not end well. And it uses that to, to increase the pathos you know the the uh you know the inevitability of the fall and i think that is what gives it great power you know you 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 see the you see the disaster happening in slow motion and you know where it went but you can't do anything you know and you know yeah. these people can't do anything either and i think like uh, an important aspect of that right is like you know i think i i think you know obviously it's been mentioned before but like in all seriousness, right, like, like joking aside, like, the Heika story's, like, true, like, its truest strength is its understanding of the fundamental personhood and dignity of all the characters involved in the story. Right. Like, even its obvious villains, even even when the Heika are, like, unwillingly signing their own death warrant, like, you still empathize with them, right? You still feel their inherent humanity right. know, in, in all the decisions they make. Kiyomori's a piece of shit, but he sure looks like he's having a good time doing it. You yeah, know? and so like, like, you know, and, and, and also it's like Kiyomori may be a piece of shit, but like, he is also, you know, a father and a grandfather, right? Yeah. He dotes, you know, on one hand, he dotes on the child emperor because he sees, you know, the power he represents, but also does he dote on that child because he's an old grandpa, right? Yeah, like, like it, it's... And, you know, I think, um, I think a huge part of the importance uh, of the impact of this show is uh due to Naoko Yamada you know and yeah, her yeah. work you know I mean I think what we've seen in her previous work in her work with Kyoto Animation is always that she you know through her direction through her scripting and blocking and everything like that she excels at bringing an extra humanity to characters who might otherwise be stereotypes and that's so important here because you're not even dealing with stereotypes here these characters are archetypes you know <laughs> right. they are they are the template for a thousand you know heroes and villains that came afterwards you know and what she does so well is make make you feel that humanity you know like we've just been saying you know that there, there is there is just so much life in the presentation in the broadcast you know it, it's it it really sells that feeling of you know people and and that's yeah. so important for the connection yeah and i think that like you know a lot of credit also must go to like you know the fact that this is a collaboration between Naoko Yamada and Science Saru, right? right? Like yeah. this is and Young Choi yeah. and the crew there. Yes, uh, like yeah. the, we are talking about like yeah the you know the Azoken people, the Devilman crybaby people, right? Like the, the you know like maybe one of the like single most talented studios out there like currently currently doing work. And I think you know this is not to say I don't think Kyoto Animation could have done this anime, but 
you know, there are just moments, there are scenes in the Haka story, right? Especially when, like, the color scheme and the composition starts to, like, intentionally emulate, like, a woodblock print mm-hmm. or a watercolor. That just kind of leave you, like, stunned. Like, they're so immaculately crafted. I feel like this is an exceptionally beautiful show. I feel like this is the show with the most of uh, stuff here, where I was just... Stuff would happen, I would just say, wow, this show looks great. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think think that, you know, even when it is not conventionally expensive looking, you know, when it is not necessarily moving at 100 frames a second or whatever, it still looks beautiful. And the choice of the shots means that those moments of stillness and moments of limited movement actually work for the narrative rather than against it. You know, it, it's definitely a show which knows sometimes when to shut up and just sort of let a moment breathe a bit. And I think that's very important for the mood as well. Yeah. Well, great stuff. I'll uh, I'll just mention a few things here. Uh, <laughs> this actually did get just as many number one votes as our actual number one show. But <laughs> as the rest of the numbers huh. panned out, it did not make it to number one. The top, our top three were actually quite close on the voting. Um, I'll just throw that out I there. Will, and I will point out that the top three are exactly the order I put them in. So you're welcome. Yes. So <laughs> um, right. maybe maybe Zig paid me. That's how that worked out. But uh, <laughs> oh, as if but, I have money. Yeah. Again, any of these series at this point could have been number one. And uh, it's like I'll 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 volunteer for me personally. I I was one of the people that voted to take a story number one. It's very good, and everyone should definitely go check that out. Terrific, terrific show. All right. At number two, we have SSSS Dinazenon, the sequel to SSSS Gridman, although they're not terribly related. Uh, when you actually watch them. From the studio fact, that bought you sex and violence with Mark Speed. <laughs> uh, and Inferno Cop, don't forget. Yes, and Inferno Cop, Akira of course. Akira Amamiya. Ninja Slayer. Inferno Cop's Akira Amamiya presents SSSS Dinazenon. Yes. Uh. Um, so, yes, this is a sequel to Gridman, although it definitely has its own... Like, they do, they do a great job of... It feels like a spiritual successor, but it's definitely its own entity. Yeah, um, it is yeah. sort of a, a show in the same oeuvre, but like calling it even a direct sequel is a little, uh, a little right. like, like representative. Like, like a lot of the presentation and stuff feels similar. Like the the, the mood feels similar, but right, the I mean, but... It re- literally reuses a lot of the backgrounds. Yeah. So. <laughs> right, but um, you know they they shift over from. You know the the cast that we had a Gridman with like the main trio to more of an ensemble right. type of cast, and, and I mean, and it yeah works I would, great. I, I would argue in comparison to the Dinosaur cast of the trio from Gridman is like has not very much personality <laughs> in comparison. Know, right, no, like, it's it's, yeah. it's it's very much a thing of like I, I, Gridman is. I mean. I think this is why we constantly like have this <laughs> trouble when we compare Gridman and Dinazenon. Right. Is like, like yeah, dude, no, Dinazenon's cast is way better than Gridman's. It's you know, yeah, but but also Gridman had, 
you know, it's like it's. Yep. <laughs> they, they both had different ways, strong you know, points, which is I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think cool. maybe to avoid just comparing the yeah, two, to, it sorry, really yeah. we should be just be highlighting just like what what a great job Dinazinon does. You know, yeah. I feel like we I feel like we're saying this a lot this year, but like you know, like B Stars, like Megalobox, like Dinazinon is a great sequel because. Mm-hmm. Like, it echoes a lot of what made its predecessor great, but also finds, like, new ways to explore that material, right? It it expands on it in legitimately interesting ways yeah. and uh, offers a, 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 a different enough message that it feels like a fresh take on something familiar. Mm-hmm. I I think, to me at least, the most fascinating part of Dinozenon is that... Um, and, you know, I mentioned this a few times in, in the stuff I wrote on it, is that to all intents and purposes, it is like a pure character drama slash melodrama. You know, like the, yeah. even more so than Gridman, the kind of like tokusatsu slash super robot stuff is almost entirely peripheral to the experience. You know, it is there as a means to an end and a, you know, an element of the weirdness, but it's su- it's such a character focused story and uh, unlike other super robot shows this one is all about the characters and, um, <laughs> uh-huh. but but i think you know i think one of the most the signs one of the best signs about this show that it is a mature you know confident form of storytelling is that there are questions that don't get answered there are questions that you're left to you know take your own interpretation of, you know, it feels like it expands beyond what we see simply on screen. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think this is another show on this list where when we say that, like, what makes Dinazenon great is its, like, willingness to tackle, like, fairly, like, mature and adult topics, we once again, like, are saying that in the best way possible. Right. right? And like, it does it in a mature way. Uh. Exactly. Like, it is a, there is a willingness to confront this source material uh, mostly uncompromised, right? Like entirely, like ready and committed to exploring it to its fullest. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways, like that that describes Dinazenon in general for me is like, you know, like it it is it is a fully committed show, right? Like mm-hmm. it is fully committed to telling this story about these five characters, right? That these scarred souls, <laughs> so to speak, do, do indeed um, trend like stars, uh... and like you know, lending them like all the empathy and personhood in the world that they deserve you know even yeah. if some of them get less screen time than others yeah like each one of them feels like a fully developed person you know with their and, own and also even though they feel like independent fully developed people they also you know relate to and rely upon other people in that ensemble in the same oh, way that people like friendships in real life form you know there there becomes mm-hmm. you can see it throughout the show there is kind of like a a maturing sort of interreliance between them right i mean you know, they, they, like, this so is they all very... literally start getting closer together in the shots as yes the show I, goes I mean on. like yeah. there, there yeah. is some visual metaphor there as yeah. well i mean but... like this is all a very like hoity-toity way to say that dinazenon's like fundamental theme is about the power of friendship uh-huh. but like in all seriousness it's like it's almost like you know if we were to do that like fucking meme of like the empty brain is the power of friendship <laughs> Eventually, you reach like you go you go through multiple stages as you grow up and become more like familiar with more sophisticated fiction. And eventually, you arrive at the end point, the galaxy brain, which you have once again returned to. Power of friendship. The power of friendship, friendship. is what saves yes. us. Uh-huh. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, you know. But it it really is a show that but, believes that like 
it, it, it almost it's almost like its thesis statement is that <laughs> and very few people can overcome trauma on their own right we we overcome we 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 grow past grief and the things that have scarred us in the arms of each other and also i i think i would say that like there is a certain amount of like surface level well because we're good friends now the robot is more powerful but mm-hmm. i think as well that that for the most part it kind of avoids those easy generalizations you know i mean like you see the characters begin to change you see them understand their different uh place in the world you know and and i think one of the important parts of that is that you know at the end everything is not fixed you know these people are not completely better quote right definitely you know but you see progress you see growth you know and, oh yeah and i, they, I think they're they no longer wounded they're just scarred yeah you know and part of that last episode is about like you know accepting uh you know i think you know the the most important scene in that last episode is the scene where yomogi says look you know i will take life with all the good and the bad you know because hmm. you you don't want you know, you ca- you can't be safe forever if you want to live. You know, you can't lock yourself away. You have to feel things. And, you know, I think that's a point that the show makes incredibly well, you know. Um, I'd also like to say that this is a show with a giant robot that is called both King and Kaiser because it's just that cool. <laughs> yeah, and the little I mean, bits like... fly through the air to a brassy 70s theme and, uh, yeah. you know... Yeah, I do want to. I do want to shout out some of the super robot antics. Uh, primarily, good. Like, like, the, uh, primarily when they play the op, and you kind of hear it muffled in the background from the cockpit. Oh, that's of, so uh, good. Yes. That let, and um, let it be said, right? Like this is still trigger. <laughs> like it is. It is. It is Akira Amamiya's trigger, but it is still studio trigger. Like they, they know what you like, and they are I, I more than happy to give it to you. I think it's a remarkable. Like this was like this was officially their 10th anniversary work and i think mm-hmm. it's it's a remarkable sign of how much they have evolved and matured as a studio yeah we're we're, talk, know, we're talking we're talking about uh, trigger delivering one of the most uh, mature and nuanced uh, right. casts uh, of the year yeah. here yeah. right which but, would sound but crazy 10 is, years ago they but, have uh, they have taken their existing strengths and not discarded them they have built on them instead you know yes, so it is I still think. hyperkinetic it's still occasionally very funny as well totally. like, there's plenty right. of I mean, goofy stuff in it like like you know this is not this is there's no reason to bring this show up even in the slightest other than that Eero and I technically watched it in 2021 ninja slayer but right is this ninja we slayer? watched ninja yeah. we watched Ni- akira amamiya's uh-huh. ninja slayer in 2021 yes. and it's like the truly, yeah. yeah, and the truly mind blowing thing about Dino Xenon is like, you can kind of see it all in like the way Akira Amamiya does it, right? He's, like, he's got his secret weapon of the long pause uh, in the middle of dialogue, <laughs> which that pause where they're eating the churros at the pool is excruciating. And, like, and the right. and the insane thing about Akira Amamiya is that he knows how to use that trick both for drama and comedy and yeah. some of the funniest fucking shit you've ever seen in your life. Right? Yeah. It's, I'm. <laughs> it's crazy to me how how much emotion you can evoke. By just going silent for twenty seconds, yeah. After, like and... it just depends what you say before it, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean that that joke with the lifeguard is literally a still held frame for about ten seconds. And right. It's like, so that's, funny. 
Like that is some straight up Inferno Cop shit. Like uh, it is insane to me that this director can <laughs> contain so many multitudes within him. It like mm. I think I think we've always said it right. Like Akira Amamiya. Like the, actually maybe the most exciting thing about Dinazenon is proof that like Gridman wasn't a fluke, right? right? Like right. the I, actual I, most exciting thing about Dinazenon is that this is proof that Akira Amamiya and the guys at Trigger, yeah. like they know. What made Gridman tick? They did it they were deliberately. Able to make it. They did exactly. it deliberately. Yeah, like they could do it again, and now that means that hopefully, when uh, Gridman Cross Dinazenon comes out, that they can do it a third time too. Yeah. Like right. that's. And I mean, the, one of the things again, like I wrote this in like my wrap up of the show, but you look at this show and then you look at Kiznaiva, which was like <laughs> only like five years earlier or something like that. And like, it's just like a quantum leap in terms of, you know, how, how refined the storytelling is, how they're able to juggle the various strengths of the studio and like integrate the goofy and the wacky and the bombastic in a much more sympathetic and, uh, you know, a way which melds much better, you know, and you think about the progress that they have made in that time and then you think about what if they make that progress again, you know hmm. and that's what's so exciting you know, I think I, I, I think that like, this proves the sky is the limit for those guys you know, and, and I'm really excited to see where they take it next I I will say, I, I would like to see Amamiya do something else yeah. in the near future yeah, I, I know, I, I, know and like, I know they're doing the the the, the Gridman cross the movie, uh, Dynasty yeah. Non, but um, after that, I would like to see him. You know, yeah, I, I mean, he, he clearly can get, do. Yeah, I mean, he can he can clearly has talent to do so many different types of genres and moods here that we've seen encapsulated in in this I, series. I think that, he will get his chance. You know, like, yeah, he is a name now in the same <laughs> way that some of that studio's more more famous directors were originally, you know, and, and I think that they will they will let him spread his wings after a while. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Well Oof. that brings us to number one, the other show in our top five that came absolutely out of nowhere. Yeah, I feel like this so is a can I start by telling a story here? Well, so, can we all right. name the can we name the show first? No, because yeah, I'm we, I'm going to explain name it in the course. All of right, the, all uh, right. Thing. <laughs> okay. So, I was responsible for scheduling the first looks for um the spring season, and for those of you who don't know, we write a quick intro to the first episode of every show we deem interesting or relevant. You know, and you know, generally when we go into a season. We, we kind of know the stuff that's going to be interesting and the stuff that is maybe not so interesting. And so I try and parcel everything out so that everybody gets something fairly interesting. And, uh, you know, then, you know, maybe everybody gets some isekai trash that they have to do. And, <clears throat> and this show was so anonymous that I forgot it not once but twice in my initial scheduling and eventually i noticed and i was like oh this weird show about an animal taxi driver i guess we'll give that to iro you know and uh and i didn't think about it again until i joined him in watching that first episode of odd taxi and man yeah so i i will i will agree when you look at the when i you look at the preview or whatever it, i thought this was going to be like a two minute short or something yeah like, I thought it was like <laughs> a short or something. Yeah, like. 
And uh, no, it 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 was a um, full anime. Um, it is uh, well. How would you explain Odd Taxi? There is a. I mean, I think you could start taxi with like driver the, kind of the high level. Yeah. That like, is a walrus, it, mm-hmm. and he gets tied it's... up into some kind of murder mystery. Is that about as I mean, high level way, as we could make it? The way I've That's tried to sell it to people it. is like because I've actually been engaged in several conversations in the last couple of weeks where I've tried to explain Odd Taxi to people <laughs> is that Odd Taxi uses its animal people like facade to be like you know a true slice of life series in the sense in the sense of this is like a collection of like inter- interconnected vignettes about various people living in modern Tokyo and kind of exploring you know, the things that these people do to kind of cope and survive with, you know, living, just like living in the modern day, you know, and like some of that cope is, uh, you know, getting into gacha games, <laughs> and for other people, that cope is uh, rapping while committing extortion. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. That tracks. Yeah, I think the, I think uh, there's well, a lot of character, a lot of characters, and the way they manage to all have their own story and then it all kind of connects together is probably like the single most impressive thing to me. The, mm-hmm. the way they've managed to weave this, weave all the stories together in a way that like works um, without when, di- when describing it. Oh, sorry. Joe, go on. I was going to say without feeling like we left anything out or, you know, something wasn't covered or, you know, somebody needed more screen time or whatever, you know, it, it, it it's it was a very interesting balancing act that they managed to pull off, but yeah, go ahead, Zig. I mean, when I've been describing it to people, I've sometimes been describing it as like a sort of noirish piece because I think it does have a lot of that, yeah, atmosphere to it. You know, it it has that kind of weird uh, collection of like you know various assorted scumbags and and. Um, and also just kind of like the, the swirling mystery that gradually links them all together. You know, I, th- I think that it's just a masterclass in how you sort of develop your plot and, you know, sort of build your characters up step by step. And, and it's a terrific show at sort of, you know, connecting unforeseen plot pieces together in a way that makes you go, oh, no. You know, you just see... <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the um i mean the the one i always reference is the end of episode four where like episode four is mostly a completely disconnected story about this dude you know who who got swindled on ebay when he was a kid and grew up to be uh addicted to gacha games but at the end of that episode it, it just connects back to the main story in just a way that makes your blood run cold it is absolutely fantastic and the show just does that time and time yeah. again it's like every, every line of dialogue is relevant somehow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it will and, come back around and also it, it just you know that it has a tremendous sense of of like g said sort of a realist slice of life you know it, it is a very lived in feeling universe you know like these people have Mm -hmm. real problems they have real struggles you know there's the comedians who like are perpetual failures and are thinking about breaking up you know there's the you know the manager who's trying to manage his idol band while he's got his fingers in like three other pies most of them illegal and all that stuff you know and and 
you know it 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 never feels outlandish or like absurd even though there are lots of outlandish and absurdist elements in it you know like the rapping porcupine who rides around on a scooter you know but the the fact that everyone is an animal (laughs) yeah yes the fact that everyone (laughs) is an animal you know but but that stuff just sort of builds the atmosphere rather than detracts it you know like it, it it feels like um it, it kind of has a similar feeling to some of Beastars in the sense that kind of like you feel like this story is going out of control in the best possible way, you know, like that feels like like the tracks have been taken out from underneath you and, and you're flying, you know, completely in the dark. And, and I think that's just a tremendous quality to have to a story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's and it's kind of hard to say too much more without spoiling things. I mean, it's um, it's, it's a show you don't. The, it's a show you really don't want to spoil, right? right? Yeah, it's yeah. real. It's, I will say the less you know going in, the better. I will say this: I personally kind of thought when they reveal Otakawa's the the truth of Otakawa, let's say at, toward yeah. the end, I I thought that was kind of lame, but they build it out with a fantastic final moment of the series <laughs> I, I think they like kind the, of know that ending. because that that reveal about Otakawa is kind of underplayed to be honest and and I think I think by that point you're not really meant to to take it as an enormous twist you know I, I think yeah, that I would agree I, I, I think that you know and the fact is the story actually continues for quite a lot after that point you know so it just kind of feels like the natural culmination of what we've been seeing rather than you know a big twist moment right um right but yeah um definitely yeah just immaculately constructed yeah very like i don't know i don't know i don't know if this is the right word but it's a show that the writing just feels tight right like like even when they're even when they are like rambling right even when they're just like you know, talking like regular people, mm-hmm. it is all contributing to like the grander artifice, right? Like every line, almost every line, like has some kind of payoff. And if it doesn't, then it's just adding texture to to the setting as a whole. Right? And... Yeah. I mean, so many of those conversations are just there to like give you a feel of these characters. You right. know, like it, like I said, every word is constructed to tell you something, you know, whether it's about the plot or whether it's just about the person who's speaking. You know, because I mean we talk about like the rapping porcupine Yano, but like even the rapping serves a purpose, right? Like it shows that he treats these terrible things he does as like a goofy game. You know, he's yeah. so disrespectful. He's so flippant. He's so. Did we? Did we mention he's of... also riding a razor scooter? Yeah, I, I did. We mention mentioned. That. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> but like he's he's so full of like self-importance and braggadocio. You know, like and that is conveyed in the form of this really funny joke that also gets that across. You know, and that is just terrific writing. You know, you you get so many facets of the character just from that one creative choice. So. Somewhat unrelated, but we did also get some great music out of this show. Oh yeah, no, uh, shout outs! You know, shout outs to the OP, uh, maybe OP of the year. Uh, well, hmm. damn, there's a there's some good OPs. I don't know, maybe my. Hmm. It's in there. It's in the conversation. Viv- sure. Vivi and Odd Taxi could have that knife fight in the back alley, I guess. But um, um, 
Yeah, and the uh, <laughs> the the uh, tracks from the rapping porcupine guy outside of the show were probably better than inside the show, but uh, quite good. No, Yano's Yano's actual voice actor's rapping career is uh, is actually legitimately uh, fairly yeah. impressive. <laughs> it's, it's some pretty strong tracks, but uh, yeah, no, I think um, if if uh, Vivi is the most conventional quote unquote anime series on our top five, Odd Taxi is definitely something very different like even just in yeah. the the art style and everything, like like they don't look like you know stereotypical anime people they're all you know animals um right. but even, yeah. even the animals are not anime style it's right just, you, it's looks... not like they're you know it's not like anime cat girl you know it they, they look like animal crossing characters or something like that right um it's very it's definitely a very different experience than w- what you would might normally expect from watching an anime so um it's uh definitely a unique and very yeah, well made uh, I... experience yeah it's definitely odd tax is definitely the one i bring up to people who i think like are convinced that they've seen it all <laughs> or you know are convinced <laughs> that like they've seen what anime can do mm, and can offer right and i'm over here being like all right but you haven't watched odd taxi yet have you <laughs> Yeah, and and I think that's so important. You know, I think one of the reasons we like this show so much is that it is a breath of fresh air. You know, it feels so unique. It feels so um, distinct from everything that comes before. Which is, you know, obviously it it takes tropes, it takes story ideas, it takes uh, aesthetic choices from media of the past. You know, Western as well as Eastern media, but it the whole is something that is that is super unique, and and that's that's a huge part of the appeal i think yeah all right well that's the end of our list those are our 10 best anime of 2021 we'll reconvene next year to name ranking of kings best anime of 2022 <laughs> i'm just gonna put that out there after a strong uh, start at least yeah yeah we, we yeah just uh, for the record we did not vote for it because it is continuing um yes into this coming the, season, so the rule has always our, been that we vote for shows in in the year that they finish. So yeah, we kind of have a yeah a rule for that where we we prefer to not include those until they're completely done. So um, I think that's going to be a strong contender, uh, even though it's very early. Um, I saw the uh, I finally watched the they put out a PV for the second season even though it's kind of continuing uninterrupted <laughs> and i've never been Dude. this hyped for i've never been this hyped for a series i'm already watching like, i know right like it's <laughs> so there's something cool about having coming to love a show so much that when you see like the trailer advertising the next like entry and you're just like it's going oh places. man that guy's doing that thing and why is that guy screaming so loudly and oh so yes everybody get on that get on that train uh, for next season, but um, how many more demon dogs is Dorsch going to kill by the end of this season? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> With it. So, um, so yeah, uh, that that's gonna do it though for 2021. We can finally just put that to put yeah. that to rest and move on with our lives, and uh, you know, we'll see everybody in 2022. Yeah, mm-hmm. good job, 2021. At, at least in terms of anime, uh-huh. you uh, very <laughs> yes, very, very not very anything. Specific. Literally nothing else, but uh, yes. Um, so you got the most uh, important thing right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, so our normal housekeeping, you can check us out at theglorioblog.com. Please do, because we have posts up for all of our year-end reviews. Everyone does their own individual, you know, whatever they want to write about that happened in 2021. So those are live, in addition to, of course, the actual top 10 posts where we, we write about the individual shows. So you can get a little more insight, especially on the shows that, you know, us four didn't watch. Uh, you can check that out. And... uh Yep, you can follow us on Twitter at the Glorio Blog. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and of course on YouTube, where you can like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. Uh, you know, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and we'll catch everybody next time. <laughs>